Welcome to the Becoming Well podcast, the podcast that explores the intersection of faith and mental health. On this episode of Becoming Well, we're going to dive into the topic of listening. And I know we all know, you know, the 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 verse in James 1:19 about being quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, but what does that actually look like in practice? Um, Mary and I are going to be diving into that today. So, Mary, how's it going? I'm going to I'm going to listen really well to our conversation today. <laughs> it is going well. Thank you. This is a great great topic. Um I have been thinking about this for a very long time. Um primarily because I can talk a lot. Now, I will say that <laughs> I I uh I think that oftentimes I can talk a lot because I go for long stretches where I won't talk. Yeah. That's fair. <laughs> so that's I fair. save it. So I save it for people who are safe, but um even in that, I think it's important that we not just uh just not talk as much, but the reason why we shouldn't talk as much. And so um, yesterday, actually getting ready for the podcast and I was actually doing my study, my, my morning study. I just typed because you, you, my, our listeners should know me by now where, you know, I, I just kind of am authentic in the way I type, the way I talk to God. So I typed in, does God think we talk too much? Cause we, you yes. know, we just cannot shut up as people. Right? <laughs> and when I mean as people, a lot of the people is me, you know? And so, uh, yeah. And of course, a lot of scriptures and one of my favorite scriptures that I, you know, used to have posted on my door when I became a Christian like 30 years ago is the uh, scripture about us. Uh, when words are many, sin is not evil, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. Ooh. Right. And I believe that's Proverbs, Proverbs. 10, 19. And God's led me back to that. So so now it's my turn to listen. Did God answer you through the Google? He was like, <laughs> yeah, shut up. No, I'm <laughs> <laughs> uh, Oh my gosh. Okay, you said it. So I'm not saying anything you didn't say, but but I remember <laughs> when maybe one of like the first times we hung out or we were talking on the phone, I can't remember, but you're like, you have to tell me to stop talking if I'm talking too much. <laughs> and I was like, I can't, I can't do that. I can't interrupt and now I just jump in, right? Yes. Like I just I'm like, all right, yes. we gotta we gotta wrap it up here. Yes. Our producer Caleb, like we we like to <laughs> chat it up before we start recording, and I can always see his face like, um, ladies, let's, <laughs> let's bring it together. But for real, like listening is an art, right? I mean, we both teach mm-hmm. counseling, um, and my students. I don't know about yours, but um, you teach undergrad, I teach grad. My students come into the counseling program thinking that, A, their whole purpose in the work they're doing is to fix problems or to, uh, more unfortunately, to fix people, which we dispel that myth right away. But I'll tell them in the counseling techniques class, the whole goal of this class is for you to learn how to listen. And they look at me like I'm crazy. Like, I know, I know how to listen. You're, mm-hmm. What are you going to teach me that I don't already know? And after, you know, the the course is over, they're like, "Yeah, I had no idea how to listen." Mm-hmm. That is huge because individuals believe that they can use the same strategies in terms of what we see as listening in our interpersonal relationships 
they believe that they can use these same strategies in their counseling relationships, right? Yeah. And here's the thing, when we consider ourselves good listeners with our peers and our classmates or in our personal relationships or romantic relationships, we're usually not actually <laughs> listening well. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so when we it's kind of this uh, belief that, yeah, I'm a good listener. That's why I went into counseling. And you are correct. Once they leave, you know, last day of the course or maybe the first time they do their mock session, uh, they realize that they really aren't really good listeners. The great part about that is that you can learn to listen. <laughs> you can, you can. And I have this theory. Well, okay, no, it's not really my theory. It's my dad's theory. I love my dad. He's so wise. Mm, you should have my so dad on the podcast sometime. <gasps> I would love it. My I'm dad loves dad. you. By the way, he's always asking like, how's Mary? Will you give Mary a hug? So I'm giving you a virtual oh, hug. Oh, thank dad. you, dad. Yeah. But he, okay, so he has this theory and I think it's, it's really rooted in capital T truth. But he says, you know, if somebody's struggling to listen, especially he you know he my dad was a psychologist he worked a lot with couples um and he would say that if you're struggling to listen it's because you think you've cornered the market on truth wow boom right say that again if say that you're again. struggling to listen in a conversation in a relationship and it doesn't matter like it can be a marriage relationship it can be a friendship it can be a work relationship if you're struggling to listen to the other person it's a very high likelihood it's because internally whether it's conscious or unconscious you think you've cornered the market on truth you know what's right wow so 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 then if we peel off another layer would that then dive into pride oh Absolutely. Yeah. Right. I mean, think about it. How often are you having a conversation with somebody? I can immediately think of multiple people and I know I'm guilty of this too. So by no means am I absolving myself of responsibility here, but where you're having a conversation and you just know the person sitting across from you is looking at you, is tracking seemingly with what you're saying, but when you pause, the next words out of their mouth are their perspective, their position, their argument, their lowercase t truth. And they haven't heard a thing that you've said because they haven't validated. They haven't reflected back what they're hearing. They haven't acknowledged what you're saying. They're just literally listening to respond from their position. That's what I was going to say, listening to respond. And again, you know, uh, for our listeners, you know, Dr. Gordon and I are very much about being transparent. So I can get caught up in that too, as, as well, especially with uh, my loved ones, especially with my husband and my daughter. But absolutely, I always ask my students, do you want to hear or do you want to listen? Right. Because hearing does not require any type of effort. I can hear birds chirping and I didn't try to hear a bird chirping. <laughs> I can, hear, you know, I can hear people talking outside and I didn't try to hear them. But I hear, uh, you know, but I hear it because I have ears that work, you know, my ears and my hearing work. Yeah. However, when we listen, we're being intentional about listening to the words that one is saying, not necessarily agreeing or agreeing or disagreeing. We're not putting value on it, whether it's good, bad, or the other, but we're trying to understand mm -hmm. rather than respond. Yeah. Yeah. It's so true. And I think going back to that statement, right, if we're not listening well, we have this unconscious belief that we hold truth. We, we know what's right. And yet, 
I, you know, for us, there is one truth. Like there, there's one truth. Like Jesus Christ is Lord. That's like the one truth I know. That's the truth. That is right. the truth. Everything else is kind of gray. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> let's, let's just be honest. Like everything else is kind of gray. And when when we go into a conversation and we're, un, A, we're unwilling to sit with the discomfort of the gray and B, we're not willing to give the other person the benefit of the doubt for having their own experience, their own lived, real, valid experience, because it's not our truth, we're we're really dismissing the very essence of the human being sitting across from us. And we need to be able to question and and to challenge within ourselves what is preventing, what is the biggest barrier here that's preventing me from really hearing and listening to this person sitting across from me. I love that. Let me let me add on to that because I'm going to uh, throw this in there. When I feel like I'm not being a good listener or whether I'm in a season of not listening or, for example, if I feel like, you know, I've been convicted that from God that um, I wasn't listening to my husband, right? Or maybe I'm being argumentative or I just want to make my point. What I find is that that is then projected onto my relationship with God, right? So oftentimes I will go into prayer with just requests <laughs> and then say, okay, amen, right? Fix this, amen. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay. Work on that. Let me know when it's all done. Right. Amen. And I don't listen to him. And there, you know, I think I've mentioned this before, maybe not. I remember when we first got married and uh, there was a book that, oh, I can't remember the name of the book, but it was about, you know, how to kind of one of those first year marriage books, like how to listen to your or change your spouse or something that was, you know, they, you know, they kind of got me. I can't remember what the young people call it now, but they, they, they got me in terms of me thinking I was going to buy a book that was going to fix my husband. Right. Mm -hmm. And on the first page of the book, they said, this book is not about God changing your husband, but it's about God changing you and your attitude towards your husband. And I was like, I've been duped, right? And so, <laughs> but I say that. Refund, is, is, please. I need a refund, right? <laughs> this was clickbait, even though it was a hard copy book, right? <laughs> and I realize, I say that because I realize that is often what we might do with God when we're not listening to other people is that we will project that and we will want all of our needs met from other people. And so we won't allow ourselves space for them to even share because we're so, we have such a desire to have our needs met. And then we project that on to God, you know, when we pray and ask him to, you know, just hand down a blank check and then we'll be good, you know? So it's not that it just, uh, happens with our interpersonal relationships, but also our relationship with the Lord. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. I read a book. I, I love this book. It's by Ruth Haley Barton. Mm. It's called Silence and Solitude. And I remember when I picked it up, the, the just in the first, I want to say like even in the first chapter, it asks the question, in your time with the Lord, how often are you silent to hear his voice? Mm -hmm. And I was like, 
oh, it was like a gut punch because yeah, I, I you know, I, I'm pretty disciplined in reading scripture. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm I'm pretty disciplined in a prayer life, but my prayer life is very talk oriented. Mm-hmm. Me talking mm-hmm. to God, not talking with God, and that with preposition. I think it's a preposition. Man, English was a long time ago. Um, <laughs> oh, uh. But that, that is it or connecting something clause? I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> my, my best friend who's a, who's a middle school teacher is going to listen to this. And I'm gonna <laughs> She's get like lecture, screaming right now. I know she is for sure. Um, but it's like true. It, we, 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 we pray with God. We not, we don't pray at God. You know, it's a conversation with God. It's a relationship. And that is a give and take. And listening is a huge part of that. And, Man, I was so convicted because I don't. I mean, sitting with the silence is challenging for me as a kind of go-getter, doer person. So to slow down and listen is tough, but it's so important. And what contributes to that? That's the question I think I want to pose. The first question I want to pose, what contributes to that, right? Could we go to a different country and see... It, it, you know, quite a different or have a quite a different experience or witness a different experience in terms of listening, right? Is it yeah. just a westernized thing because we have so much, you know, it's our modern culture, right? We have so many different avenues where we can express ourselves verbally, you know, whether it's social media, blogs, cell phones, call in radio shows, podcasts, right? So we yeah. have so many avenues where we can express ourselves. And for the most part, you know, we're prideful in the fact that we believe that, you know, because we've been given that right living where we live, you know, which is, is great to an extent, But as believers and uh, humans that want to value other humans, how do we reel that in to where it actually can then say, okay, here is this freedom that we have, but how do we then couple that with respect for our fellow human? Yeah. And and I think you're right. I mean, I think we do have to acknowledge foundationally, this is countercultural behavior because if we think back, uh, I may not be good with the grammar, but I'm better with history. You know, if we think back to the industrial revolution and the, and, you know, and, and the, the, beginning of like technological developments, that's really historically speaking where we see in the Western world, the drop of um, the drop off in mysticism mm-hmm. and, and, you know, and, oh, and yes. the, the mysteries of the world. Mm-hmm. And we were created, I mean, God specifically said that we are created to long for heaven. There is something internal within us that longs for God. And, and we're consistently trying to fill that with information. And now, as technology has further developed, we we don't sit with the mysteries of the world anymore. We've lost the art of mysticism. And with the globalization, we're passing that culture to the far reaches of the world that are seeped in those traditions of mystery and mysticism. And we're influencing them with global secularization as well. And so I think we we struggle to sit to listen because we've got all the quote unquote answers at our fingertips with you know technology in the palm of our hand and it's really unfortunate. Yeah. Okay. Well, let me ask you this because I love that when we talk about the mystery, you know, it's removed, right? I remember getting on the internet. So I'm 47. So th- I remember when there <laughs> wasn't an internet, and I remember yeah. all my favorite celebrities or all my favorite singers. It was a wonderful childhood because I can create who they are in my head. I didn't have to know that they're really not that nice in person or they're not very, you know, (laughs) 
<laughs> they without the filters, they're not that attractive, right? So I was able to stay in my in La La Land forever, and it was to me, to be honest with you, it was great, right? Because it kind of kept my childhood intact, and now like my I feel like my whole childhood is stripped away because we can have our we get our hands on the reality that you know there's a good uh you know space in that and understanding that people are human but you know sometimes that mystery of oh my prince charming oh this actor he or you know this actress or whatever is this person in my head um rather than uh now seeing a real junk right so i'm going to use that as an example so now that we are taking that mystery away and like you said globalization and all of these different things that we can get at the our fingertips does that that influence our faith mm. because faith is not always seen. We can't Google right. what God is talking to us about or what he is, what his uh, purpose is for our life at the moment. Right. And so sometimes we can't, we don't know and we can't find it on, you know, we can't Google it and we can't find it on a blog. So do you think the lack of mystery and the privilege of having all of these different uh, resources at our fingertips affects our faith with God. Mm. You know, I, I laughed earlier because we started off this episode with you saying you Googled God from my talking to <laughs> And that's why I haven't heard anything. He's like, <laughs> He's like you got to sit with the mystery of that question. <laughs> Yeah, but I totally, I mean, I do the same, right? I think about so often when I get ready to speak somewhere, you know, my my prayer is that I want God to just use me as a vessel, speak through me. And then I think about the topic and the next thing I do is I go to Google or we have this amazing um, resource called Logos and it has tons of information and it's, you know, biblical exegesis is a great resource. It's not, but, but I, 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 yeah, I, I would say a hundred percent. I am guilty of that. I, I don't listen well. And I think that seeps into our relationships where we think we have all the answers and our identity becomes tied to that. I mean, think about, you know, think about the couples that you've worked with. I work with couples. I have, I work with a fair amount of couples, which is always fun for me because when I was in grad school, this is a bit of a tangent, but I got to sneak it in here. When I was in grad school, they would tell us, if you're not married, you're probably not going to end up working with couples. So just, you know, that's all right. You'll have your own subspecialty. And I'm like, suckers, I work with a ton of couples right now and I'm good at that. Um, but and so I'll be really prepared when my Prince Charming comes along. Um, <laughs> but Cameron side note, of, uh, you, did you uh, say Kirk Cameron? <laughs> growing Pains was my was my crush. I up. did love that show though. <laughs> A side note to that though is I think, and this is a side note, and then I'll let you. Uh, no, yeah, you're I, good. I'll let you. I'll let you finish in the words of Kanye. Um, I'm listening. <laughs> Uh, I think it can be very uh, not you're you're a great 
counselor in itself. Like you're a great therapist anyway. But I think being single probably could allow for more objectivity when working mm. with couples. Because mm-hmm. I can, when I find myself when working with couples or Craig and I, when we would do marriage counseling, is it, there would have, there would be a lot of counter-transference, which, you know, is more of me seeing the issue um, or seeing someone of a different, you know, uh, uh, it's more like projecting. Yeah, like uh, you see your experience in there in, in, in what there. the clients are describing to you. Yeah, Right. Thank you. I was trying to explain it to our listeners. Yeah. So it's like kind of like projecting. Right. And so I really had to be intentional about not projecting my stuff. You know, so if the wife says something and it's something that maybe I'm dealing with in my marriage, you know, I can't just say exactly and then go in and on the husband. So <laughs> I just want to say that absolutely I do believe uh, single people can counsel married uh, couples very well. Oh, that's so anyway, a, that's go ahead. a good, thank you for that affirmation. That's a good perspective. I don't know that I really thought about it from that way before, but that makes sense. Um, yeah, I don't, yeah. Anyway, um, <laughs> I'm going to take that to heart. So, so yeah, I think about some of my couples and I feel like in their arguments, when they're really struggling to listen, there's this, there's this piece of, I have to convince my spouse of why what they're saying is wrong because if their if if their experience is valid to them then it's invalidating of me. Mm. Right? Like if if they felt um hurt by something I said and I can't convince them that I didn't say the, whatever I said the way they interpreted it then I'm basically a villain. Like I'm mm. the person that would hurt them. Got it. Versus like they were hurt. What what would it take to just hear and say that would be really painful? I can see how the way I said this caused you to feel this way. Mm. Like there's just this inability at times to separate out the other person's experience from my identity. And so I have to convince them that they're wrong. Otherwise, my identity is at stake. I love that because my next question from your statement was, okay, so what you said, what would it take? But you answered the question that I had. It would take them not to believe that allowing someone else's experience has nothing to do with their identity. Yes. Yeah. And that's like, I mean, that's work that, that, you know, I don't want to minimize how, what that looks like and playing that out. I mean, it's not sure. like we can just, you know, oh, one and done. That's, that's all I have to do. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> we connect our identity to a lot of things. And I am certainly, you, you mentioned this earlier. I, I, I don't know if it's because in our line of work, we do a lot of listening, but I, for sure, in my relationships outside of work, outside of counseling, I jump into problem solving mode so quickly. And my yep. friends and family are like, Deb. Deb, I just, I just need you to listen to me. And I would just want to be like, I listen all day. Just let me solve all your problems. So you're not going to be in pain. (laughs) Right. You know, I'm I'm going to throw in why I do that. It's so interesting. And, you know, we always love to bring this piece in. I talk to my classes about this as well, especially my counseling skills classes where we're, where we talk about the art of listening. Um, I tend to talk a lot and talk over people that in my interpersonal relationships. And I realize it's cultural. And when I say cultural, I mean family. Mm, so yeah. I grew up with all women, right? And not to say that all women talk a lot or they talk 
over one another, but we're all chatty girls. Yeah, we, <laughs> we like to talk. We like to talk. And, and, and I come from a family that's very emotive. We're very, and we, you know, we wear our emotions on our sleeve and we finish each other's sentences. If you hear my best friend and I talk, you would be amazed. Probably not because it sounds just like us, but <laughs> the crazy, I remember it is. I remember he was driving and, and my best friend, we picked her up and we just started talking over each other and finishing each other's sentences. And we know exactly what the other person said. And Craig was like, how do you even know what they're saying? <laughs> and, but there is a rhythm. There's just totally. a rhythm from where I'm from and some of my very, my really close relationships that we just know that's how we talk. Right. And so I find when I am talking and I remember this and I remember going to college my first and second year and someone would actually listen and not finish my sentence or not say, yeah, 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 I get it. Or some type of ad lib. I didn't think they were listening. <laughs> <laughs> I really got offended. Like they're like, they're not listening. And so there would be this space after I'm done, like, that's it. Like you can go now. Right. <laughs> and so a lot of the reasons why I would like talk and jump in, because it's kind of this idea, like, I feel you, I'm feeling you. I know what you're saying, you know? And so the rhythm and the cultural piece to that is the reason why um, it is very difficult for me when I, when I, when I relate to other people, because my idea of listening is actually talking. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's like your way of kind of affirming that you're tracking and 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 hearing and validating what the other person is saying, like to jump in and to give those affirmations. That makes that makes total sense. But I think that's I think that actually is another layer to listening, right? Like I think about people who are in more intimate relationships. And again, that can be a spouse, that can be a best friend, that can be a, a close work colleague, it can be a boss to a to a subordinate. Um Sure. But I think it's that element of also being willing to say your kind of foundational experiences for conversation as you start to learn the communication dynamics of your partner, right? To be able to say, mm -hmm. hey, where I come from, I grew up with all girls in my family. The way that we communicated, we were, we were listening, we were in the conversation, we were invested, is we would kind of jump in and talk with one another, maybe sometimes talk over one another, not disrespectfully, not dismissively, but that really shows affirmation and connection. And so that's where I come from. And, it, you know, and just to be kind of honest about that, because we all come from different backgrounds, culturally speaking, environmentally speaking, relationally speaking, that influences our communication styles. And to kind of go, you know, layer upon layer upon layer, when someone is sharing that with you, how can you listen to receive that versus dismiss that? Well, like, because it would be easy. I could say, well, Mary, that's not my experience. I didn't grow up. I was mostly an only child. And so listening for me is quiet. And, you know, then I'm totally just dismissing your experience for mine because I'm looking at it again from if, if your situation is right, then mine might be wrong. And then that kind of starts to creep into my identity. I love that. So... So what you're saying is 
is that it's important that we respect one another's communication styles, right? And understand that there isn't a value, whether it's right or wrong, bad or good. It's just different based on your background. So then with that, I have a question for you. How then as a uh, mental health professional, when you're, when you're counseling Deb, yeah. How do you navigate that? Because you're going to get, and I'm just asking you specifically because I know that you had, I've noticed with you, you, I've seen you go back and forth, right? You definitely um, can be in the, you know, the, the more quiet, reflective, you, you summarize like a champ, like you're the <laughs> boss of reflecting content. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm going to get a badge. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get a badge and wear it on I'll my say, sleeve. <laughs> girl, I'm going to give you a whole crown, right? (laughs) So, or a boss. But then when you and I talk, you're very well aware of my communication style. And and I appreciate that. I appreciate that because you can quickly shift from, uh, you know, being silent and then reflecting, but also kind of like I do with my sisters, right? Where we're jumping over, we have side jokes in the middle of our stories, you know, and that's our, my way of knowing that you're listening when you have the side joke and, you know, you're laughing on the side. So my question is when working with multiple individuals, right? How do you then, um, respond in all these different ways without feeling as if you are losing yourself or that you feel like you have to uh, pull them into the way that you communicate. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. You know, sometimes I struggle in that way. Um, I I love couples work because I feel like you get the real stuff in a session, you know, not to say that working with individuals, you don't, but you just get one perspective. But with couples, if one of the couples is not sharing something honestly, or it's not a shared perspective, the partner's Mm going to say something nine Mm -hmm. times out of 10. And even if they don't say something, they're saying something with their nonverbals. And so um, I've had couples in my Mm -hmm. office who are screaming so hard at each other to try to be heard that I've literally had to stand up and like position myself between the two of them Mm -hmm. to de-escalate the conflict because we get into the real nitty gritty. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think for me, regardless of the context or the, or the, influence or the background that leads to the communication style, it is never appropriate in my book to treat somebody in any way, shape, or form that diminishes them as having inherent worth, dignity, and value is made in the image of God. And my clients don't have to be a Christian to understand that. Like that is just something like you have inherent dignity and worth. I start off most of my work with any clients by explaining that. If they're a Christian client, I might dive deeper into why I believe that. If they're not, I just leave it at that. You have inherent dignity and worth. Nobody can take Mm -hmm. that away from you. That's right. And so if we start to dive into these conflict areas and I notice in your communication that you are not communicating in a way that demonstrates that dignity and worth to your partner, we're going to pause and we're going to recollect ourselves and we're going to try it again. Mm. And if they can't get to that point, then sometimes I have to model for them. And maybe that's what Mm -hmm. influences my ability to communicate well is like I'm constantly in a learning process, right? With my students, with my clients, and then educating, and then they're teaching me, and then educating. It's a cycle. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's, that's kind of the foundational piece of, you know, no name calling, no dismissing, no invalidating. Beyond that, I, I really do try to pay attention and listen for those cultural 
contextual clues. Like, you know, well, when I, I'll hear when I was growing up or I'll notice maybe there's a more um, energetic and enthusiastic communication style that for some people may come across as yelling or, um, you know, loud or, or, or more, um, overwhelming and yet passionate. That's a great word. And, and for this person, like that's how we talked. That was, that's, that's kind of, that's the way I communicate. And so understanding those differences and being able to just clarify, like, this is why I talk this way. Okay. That makes sense. Um, and, and I make mistakes in that. Like I, I've definitely, I mean, I can think of a number of situations where I pointed out what I perceived as, as maybe an unhealthy or harmful communication style. And the person felt unfortunately dismissed by that. You know, they mm. they they were able to share with me. Um, that's that's kind of the way I communicate with my family, or that's how we communicated growing up. And that doesn't necessarily mean it's not something to be aware of and to adjust sure. in communication, mm-hmm. but to dismiss it as you know incorrect or unhealthy or fill in the blank can come across as you're invalidating who I am. Um, as a person. So I think it's it's a lot of give and take for sure. But that's huge. So I'm hearing you say, what I hear you saying is that understanding that each person that you're interacting with has value. Yeah. Right? Has worth. And being able to remember that when we are communicating can actually uh have you know the other person then start if they start there then there may be affordance for more flexibility in understanding if we see that other person having that value and worth yeah absolutely and you know i i think coming full circle here because i know a lot of our listeners are believers we're 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 Christ followers and i think this is a huge responsibility that it is imperative we take on mm-hmm. we as christians unfortunately i think in the public eye have a reputation of being very quick to speak and very mm-hmm. slow to slow listen. to listen yeah so slow mm-hmm. and i think we've somehow made this misconnection that listening to understand communicates agreement. And that is Mm, so far from the truth, right? Mm -hmm. Like what, when I think about Jesus' example, I feel like he just invested in community. He got to know people. He listened Mm. before he ever spoke. Mm -hmm. And so I think about we are called to step into relationship and mm-hmm. demonstrate the dignity and worth and value of each human being created in the image of God mm-hmm. by saying, hey, let me hear your story. Can I thank you? That is so beautiful. I, and I'm going to share from that. Like I'm feeling I'm feeling so moved by what you're saying. I often will feel very hurt by many Christians who will sacrifice um understanding me for being what they see as biblically correct Mm. what i mean is i may come and cry about something that is heavy on my heart my human self and in response it feels like their worry might be, well, I have to make sure I tell her what's wrong based on the Bible or what I believe about the Bible yeah. and completely sacrifice my humanness. 
Not to say that I'm wrong or they're right or or vice versa, but the uh, putting the value of I have to make sure that I let that person know my stance before I care about their humanness in their heart is it it it, it can be destructive. I was it can, just, yeah, you know it it is it is very painful. Well, God said, okay, so let's, for example, say that God did say, there's layers to this, right? Because there's theological perspectives and so forth. But let's just say both of, we both agree on what God says. But can you listen to my pain for a second? Yeah. Is that, is that then, uh, is that sacrifice of listening to my pain first um, going to send you to hell? Yeah. What, 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 it, what's your motive in that? So I think, and I don't know, tell me if you agree or not that I think sometimes as Christians, we are so dogmatic about our position that we forego the humanness. And that's not even what Jesus did. He sat, like you said, he listened, he loved. And I tell you what, I tell my students this all the time. People are going to remember how they made you feel before they remember what you said. Ooh, that's so good. Maya Angelou. That's so good. Yes. And it's and it's true. I, I completely agree with you. I completely agree with you. And and what's interesting is as you were saying this, I was thinking about just what we were saying moments ago about the mystery and the and the loss of mysticism. And I just I have to wonder. You know, the scriptures say, and I don't remember the exact verse, but scriptures say that God has placed, you know, the longing for Christ on our hearts. And each and every one of us, not just believers, like if we are created in the image of God, then we have a longing within us for relationship with him. And so I think about when we come to the table and we we feel this pressure, which is very human placed to speak truth, and I'm putting air quotes around this, right, to somebody's right. pain and suffering to say, well, you know, this is what the Bible says. This is what, you know, this is what you need to repent of, or this is what you need to do if you're feeling this way. Mm-hmm. It's like we're afraid or we're not trusting of the reality that God has placed this longing on each and every one of our hearts. And so if we meet this person um, in a posture of listening to validate, to understand at least in my experience, and especially when it comes to to work that we do, more often than not, that person seeks more information from me. Absolutely, it's like Absolutely. a lot less work. In all honesty, to be an you know be an agent of God's transformation, because after listening, it's like they notice the difference and they mm-hmm. notice the safety in mm-hmm. that relationship to then come to you and say you know, do you have any thoughts on, on something I could do differently or, or what, what it is, what, what is it about you grounded in, in your, your identity or your value? Where, where does that come from? Right. Right. It's like, I don't have to do anything. The, the God is doing the full blown testimony through me by just creating this intimate relationship through the art of listening. Through the art of listening. How many of us, and I say us, and I'm well in that group, how many of us actually mimic God's disposition or Jesus's disposition when he was here on earth? 
his disposition as opposed to his words, right? That's just yeah. as important, Yeah. right? There's a lot that he said, but what did he do to make us feel loved? Because in my experience with my relationship with God, he listens very well. He listens, he listens, he listens too well sometimes because <laughs> I'm like, no, just tell me right now. Wait, can you just forget that, God? I didn't mean it when I said it. No, no, never mind. <laughs> right, I'm just, I'm just playing, you know, and how many of us, you know, my students always ask, how can I counsel non-Christians? I say, when we talk about basic counseling skills, what is it? Listening, unconditional positive regard. Who is that? Yeah. Who, who does that? wonderfully like i said i mean you're your boss level and you're reflecting content and summarizing tab but there's like boss boss level right <laughs> the and ultimate counselor the ultimate counselor does that so when we if we believe that we're being used as a vessel for him our words isn't our only tool yeah yeah our listening is a testimony our listening and being used as a vessel to be a good listener can be so transformative. It's yeah, that's it. That's so true. I, I think, you know, <laughs> that's a perfect ending point, because I think if we can just emphasize, like you said, empathy, validation, unconditional positive regard, which in our world, in our professional world, that's that meeting you where you're at without judgment, without expectation. It's just mm -hmm. you're here your presence mm -hmm. is worth and value enough, and I want to validate that. Those tools mm -hmm. are exactly what Christ demonstrated and and are so, I mean, just, I, I know it can feel so difficult to think that that can be transformative, but you hit the nail on the head. Like, for those of our listeners that are really paying attention and wanting to put these skills into practice, listening to really understand mm. is in and of itself a transforming agent in relationship. Mm -hmm. It is. And make a commitment to be the person who's willing to try that out, to take the first step. Yeah. And know that we're doing it with you. Yeah. We're doing it with you. We're learning. Think of listening as learning different languages, right? How do I listen well with Deb? How do I listen well with my husband? How do I listen well with my daughter? And that could look very different. But if I keep with the idea that the core of my motivation is they are valued and they deserve my attention and they are worthy of their position in their space, in their hurt, in their pain, and what they want to convey, then I will be able to continue to have that longevity of being flexible and understanding how to listen well. Mm, so good. So good. Aw, thanks for, thanks for listening with me today. <laughs> I love you are a great listener Deb you really are you are too you are too and you drop these wisdom bombs and I'm like over here like jotting everything down I'm gonna <laughs> just create my merry wall of quotes that's what I'm gonna call it <laughs> maybe I should make a book just take all the stickies off that you put together and we could just put a <laughs> yes. book or something oh that's good <laughs> we, we need to do that we need to do it for sure well thanks for for um, our listeners for listening and hopefully you got some good takeaways you know we always encourage you check out our website www.becomingwellpodcast.org you can check us out on all the major podcast channels leave us a review we love five stars we love your feedback and we encourage you to check out our other episodes and join us again soon mm -hmm.